Hey, this is Chris Honecker, and I want to welcome you to the God Taught Me radio show. I'm here with my main man, Pots and Pans, TJ Laurie. What's up, TJ? What's up, my homie with the chrome domey, and how is your speaking tour going? Oh, man, it's going good. I uh, started on Thursday, been speaking just about every day, a couple different churches, but one church, I'm speaking five sermons in a row, Weekstown Community Church, just out of outside of Egg Harbor City, New Jersey. Going good though, bro. Man, that's awesome, dude. So good to see you out there spreading the word. Good yeah, stuff. It's an honor, to be honest with you. It's an honor, and uh, I thank God for the privilege and thank God for all the people I'm meeting at these different places. And uh, that's the reason we're pulling a fast one today. Yeah, we're pulling from the archives. So, uh, Chris, what are the uh, the folks at home going to be listening to today? They're going to be listening to How to Go Big for God and how God will go big for you. Five steps we're going to talk about, and uh, I think they'll be blessed as they listen. Awesome. All right, let's get to it. All right, so like I said, we've heard a lot of good messages about going big, but what does that really look like? What does going big for God really mean? Or, or what does it take to go big for God? For a God who's what? Already went big for us, right? What kind of God is going to crucify his son on a cross after being tempted by Satan 40 days in the desert, yet without sin, putting up with a whole bunch of stuff, getting spit on, whipped on, mocked. Oh, you're not God, going back to his own hometown. Who are you? Aren't you the carpenter's son? We know your sisters. All that kind of stuff. God has already what? Proven that he's already went big for us. Despite all that opposition, what did Jesus do? One thing he didn't do, what? didn't give up on us, did he? Isn't he merciful? If you're living, breathing, sitting in here today, isn't God showing his mercy on your life? Because we're, we're, we've all had friends and family that aren't what? Aren't with us anymore, right? But yet you are. Probably for a purpose, amen? And for a reason. So, I want to bring up the first verse, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord do what? They run to and fro throughout the whole earth to do what? Isn't this crazy when you think about this verse? What does God want to do? First of all, he conducts a search. You know, we conduct searches at work. Sometimes we've got to search for a missing child or actually got to execute a search warrant or whatever it is. When you lose your keys, what do you do? You conduct a search, right? Or you lose something that's important to you, you're going to search for it. God says, listen, I'm constantly on a search. And you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for a heart that's loyal to me so I can do what? So I can show myself strong. What does that look like? God showing himself strong. Showing himself strong to those whose hearts is loyal to him. Right? Because God will do amazing things in our life if we what? If we allow him. Right? God's an amazing God. There's only one God. He's a powerful, amazing God. One of the names for the Bible for God is El Elyon, the Most High God. You know, I heard a testimony one time about a guy owned a construction company, big, big uh, backhoes and all kinds of stuff, big trailers, big trucks, everything. And you know how it is when you're living for the Lord. Some people, they just don't get it sometimes. And, and we've got to have mercy and be kind no matter what. But... His employees mocked him. What you going to do now? What you going to do now, boss? Pray? 
We can't go anywhere because we're missing all these chains. Can't tie down the equipment. So, of course, he prays. And coming down the road is a pickup truck with its tailgate down. Right where they're parked is a sharp bend. And the pickup truck goes around the bend. A chain slides out of the back of that truck right up by their feet. The boss picks it up and says, well, boys, let's go to work. Praise the Lord, right? That's the kind of stuff we see, isn't it? Right, amen. Give God a shout out. Right? I heard a testimony of a little boy, the book. How many of you read the book, Heaven is for Real? Powerful little book, right? Remember the end of the book? The parents call him up. Come on up, we got to show you something. They're standing on a the porch. They come out, and they said it was the most incredible, beautiful rainbow that they have ever saw. Right? What's the little boy's name? I forget his name in the book. Anyway, Colton. Colton comes up, right, and says, oh, yeah, that is a nice rainbow. Turns around, goes right back to playing with his Spider-Man. He goes, I, I just asked God to do that. It was like no big deal to him. That's an amazing God, isn't it? To a four- or five-year-old boy, throws out the old rainbow, bam! The parents are like blown away on the porch. Little boy comes up, yeah, that's about right, because that's what I asked God to do. Isn't that crazy? We serve an amazing God. And if you haven't read that book, I highly recommend it. It'll, it'll strengthen your faith. But there are a few things we got to do. Five steps. If you want God to go big into your life, and God, and you to go big for God, five things we need to do. Step number one. Become willing. You know that, right? You know you don't have to serve the Lord, right? You don't have to serve God. God, what do you think? God's going to force you to serve him? Huh? Bend, bend you over. Oh, get over here and serve me. That's like being a robot. Is there any love in that? No, there's no love in that. There's no celebrations. My, my daughter plays soccer. If I come over there and take the goalie out, whew, their feet are dangling. Come on, Shelby. Bam, she kicks the goal in. I put the goalie back. Yeah, and then I'm jumping around like I'm a crazy parent on the sideline. Yeah, look at my girl. Busted a goal right down. All the other parents are like, yo, dude, you just knocked the goalie out of the way. No wonder she got a goal. Is there any need for celebration? No. What's the Bible say when one person gives their life to Christ? What happens in, in heaven instantly at that moment? It's a celebration, the Bible says. Why? Because it was an act of their will, right? It's a decision that you made. So the first step to go big for God, you got to be willing. Look at this verse. David talking to his son Solomon. First Chronicles 28.9. And you, my son Solomon... Acknowledge the God of your father and serve him wholeheartedly, with wholehearted devotion and a what? Willing mind. Willing mind. you got to be willing. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, what? He will be found by you. But if you forsake God... He'll reject you forever. If you seek the Lord, he's going to be found for, by you. But you've got to have a what? A willing heart. Remember the statement. Your will is free. You can do whatever you want. But it's your decisions that you're going to have to pay for. Amen? Your will is free. You have a free will. God gave that to you. It's the decisions that we pay for, each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. Here's another verse. I don't know if they have this one because I gave it to them like two seconds before the service started. <laughs> if you are willing, Isaiah 119, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. 
if you are willing. God says, listen, you don't have to serve me. Reminds me of a time at work. Quite a few years ago, one of my coworkers, a sergeant comes up to him and says, hey, I need you to go serve this uh, restraining order on so-and-so in such and such a neighborhood. It was a house that the barracks was familiar with. Unfortunately, we, we always had to go there. It was Easter Sunday, and the trooper says, oh, come on, Sarge, it's Easter. Why I got to go up to this guy's house and, and serve him with this restraining order? Kicked him out of his house. You know that lady's crazy that he's married to, and she, you know, she ran around. She had a reputation of being, uh, you know, running around, all right? Let's just say that. She ran around, and he didn't. She always ejected him out of the house. So he said, come on, Sarge, why I got to go here on Easter Sunday of all days and eject this poor guy out of his house? You know what the Sarge said? You ain't got to do it. So <laughs> this guy's a good friend of mine. He goes, oh, I don't? No. You ain't got to do it. Put your gear in the locker. Cross the street over there at that restaurant, taking applications. You ain't got to do it. He went, oh, snap. He's coming out of the house today. And he left. <laughs> truth. You don't have to do it. You don't have to serve God. Let's just make that clear, all right? God says, listen, you don't want to serve me? That's fine. What did he tell uh, Elijah when Elijah was in the cave after he just got done busting 450 false prophets up, made the, made the altar, soaked it with water, put the sacrifice on it, teased the false prophets, said, go ahead, call out to your God. See if he'll burn up this sacrifice. Come back a few hours later and said what? Hey, maybe your God's on vacation. Right? You remember that in Scripture? Then what Elijah say? Now I'm going to call on the one God, the true God, the mighty God, to burn up the sacrifice. And what happened? Fire, right, came down from heaven and burned it up. Bam. But where was Elijah after that? He had his Nikes on. What was he doing? He was jetting from the most wicked woman in the Bible, Jezebel, right? Said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Just let me get my hands on him. I'm going to kill him. Where was Elijah? Sitting in a cave. And what did God say? What's up, Elijah? What are you doing? Oh, she's trying to kill me, this, that, and the other. I'm the only one left. What did God say? Mm-mm, you ain't the only one left, bro. I got 7,000 left that haven't bowed down to that false god, Right? So you do not have to serve God. One of the keys to going big for God and God showing up mighty in your life, you got to be willing. Don't think for a minute that you're doing God a favor by serving him. Amen? you got to be willing. Second step, developing a life, and this is huge, without fear. Look, you're not going to be able to serve God if you're fearful, Right? You know how many times in the Bible God says fear or not? You know how many times when God had an angel or somebody visit them that the angel said, fear not. Be courageous. He told Joshua when he was about to take the land, be strong and courageous. Don't worry. I am the Lord. God had to keep reminding people, listen, I'm God. I'll do it. Amen? God is a powerful God. If you want to go big, you got to crush your fears. Fears of failure. Fears of the unknown. And the biggest one, the fear of man. Listen, if you're worried about what people think, then you're not going to worry about what God thinks. You understand? If you're worried about what people think about you and your relationship with God, then you ain't going to care what God thinks. But if you don't care what people think, 
then you're going to worry about what God thinks. Amen? Who else are you worried about? Who feeds you? Who takes care of you? Who clothes you? Who does the miracles in your life? I remember praying for four days, fasting and praying for my brother Eric who had a tumor in his lung. All right? Mainland Hospital. Big tumor. Going to take out one of his ribs. I'm on my knees crying out to God, asking him to heal my brother. On the fourth day, they wheel him down to the x-ray room. Take the x-ray. Get ready to cut him open. Guess what? Tumor was gone. He got amen. He was admitted out. And I went to the Galway Diner and ate like a king after that because I was fasting and praying. But that's my God. That's the God that I'm allowed to call dad, according to the scripture. Amen? We serve an amazing God, an amazing God. So why, why are we worried about something? Look at these scriptures. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 31.6. Oh, no, Proverbs 29.25. Fear of man will what? Prove. Proven to be a snare. It will snare you up. If you're worried about what people think or worried about taking a step of faith to do something that God is calling you to be obedient to, that ain't going to happen because it's a snare. It's from the devil. Amen? Proverbs 29, 25. Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and what? Courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. I met somebody at the Maze Landing Diner the other day over coffee. He had some struggles in his life. So we sat down and had coffee, counseled him a little bit from the Word of God. He told me about all these things. And you know what I did? I said, listen, what's the truth? I know what you're saying, but what's the truth about what's going on in your life? Who is God? Who are you in relationship to God? What does God say in his word? He will never leave you nor forsake you. God is for you, not against you. I dare you to do this for a day. God is my God. God is my Father. God is for me, not against me. Right? God will never leave me forsake. Do that for a day and see how your attitude changes. You'll be pumped up. You'll be ready to take on the world because that is truth. Truth. Amen? You've got to get that in your spirit. One last verse, Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am what? God says, I'm with you. When you're doing my work, when you're doing my will, I am with you. Right? Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know how many times I had to read that? And be ministered to? Plenty. God is telling Chris Einwichter, listen, Chris, you gave your life to me. There was a legal adoption that took place according to Ephesians 1.5. You are my child. I am your dad. I'm your father. I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Step three, developing a heart that is loyal to God. Step one, be willing. Step two, live a life without fear. Step three, develop a loyal heart with God. Look at this verse, Deuteronomy 5.29. Oh, this is God speaking, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me, which means to respect God, keep all my commandments always, so that what? So that it might go well with you. God says, the reason I want you to obey me is so it might go well with you. Right? When we obey God, it goes well with us. Right? 
it goes well with us. That's, that's the word of God. So that it might go well with you and their children forever. This type of heart is the heart that God lives for. He searches for it, as we've already read. And what's it look like, really? What's a loyal heart? How does God look at a loyal heart? And what does a loyal heart really look like? Some of my favorite scriptures you're going to read next. Let's bring up Luke 1, 26 through 31. Look at this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was who? John the Baptist's mom, right? God sent his main man, the angel Gabriel, to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was what? Mary. And the angel went to her and said what? Greetings. You are highly favored. Right? Not just favored. God sent his main man, his right-hand man, Angel Gabriel, to Mary. Okay? I can only imagine what type of relationship prior to that date that Mary had with God. Why did God choose Mary? Amen? Because she had a loyal heart towards the Lord. He sent Gabriel, and he said, listen, you're not just favored. You're highly favored. Before God. Could you imagine an angel showing up in your bedroom saying, hey, you're highly favored. You know, that's powerful. God favors loyal hearts. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Mary, you ain't got nothing to worry about. Actually, he said, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. He kept emphasizing, listen, Mary, you ain't got nothing to worry about, right? You have found favor with God, and the Lord is with you. Short fellowship, the Lord is with you. It's time that you believe it and act on it, amen, and that you walk in it. Could you imagine Angel talking to Mary, and nobody else could see the angel, but Mary, Mary's probably in fear like she was. It says she was startled by the greeting, and other people looking out, oh, snap, what's, what's Mary doing? Talking into the air. What's going on up in there? But could you imagine somebody trying to pickpocket Mary at that moment? Bam! They probably wouldn't remember it. You know why? Because they probably would never woke up from the hit that Gabriel would have gave them, Gabriel would have gave them, Right? Mary was highly favored. You're not going to step up on Mary and, and pickpocket her. Why? Because the Lord was with her. Amen? You'll never, step four, this is a crucial step. Listen, this is the most neglected step by all of us, me included. And nothing else will work without this. Are you ready? Never. And it's often the most neglected, like I said. Washing your brain. With the word of God. Actually, the Bible calls it renewing your mind. Just picture you taking a sponge and cleaning your brain and washing it. You ever turn on your pool filter and get that big, bam, the pump turns on, thrust that water into your pool? The word of God. The word of God. You can come to church all you want, right? But until you start meditating on the word of God, not just reading it, meditating. You know what meditating on the word of God means? That means you take a scripture that, that you're deficient in. Maybe you're a complainer. I shared a testimony last night when I was in bed with my wife, 
our Labrador sleeping at the end of the bed. Three o'clock in the morning, he's got to go to the bathroom, right? So I'm going to take him out. It's three o'clock in the morning. Of course, we don't let our wives take him out. Three o'clock in the morning, dark. But what do you think I do? I start complaining. Oh, man, why I got to take Petey out three o'clock in the morning? Why I got to be the one? Bam, bam, bam. Put the leash on him. Come on, Pete. Bam, bam. Get, get to the door. Get to the door. I think I get through the door, and all of a sudden, up in my heart comes Philippians 2.14. Do all things without complaining so that you may be blameless. Right? Why did that verse come up in my heart? Because I was reading it? No, because I was meditating on it. You know what it means to meditate on the word? That means you chew on it. That's what the Greek means, that you chew on it, and you're going over and over again. You know what I was doing? I knew I had a little spout with complaining, so I took the word of God, started putting it in my heart. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin. You want to you have more resistance to sin? You want to live the life that God wants you to live? You start meditating on this word, and you watch how your attitude changes. You watch how your prayer life expands. You watch how God begins to show up. Because why? Because you're going to be obedient to the word of God. When you start taking that word in, not just reading it, thinking about it. I would drive thinking about, okay, Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without complaining. What's that mean? wonder how I can do that. A couple hours later, hmm, Philippians 2.14, bang, bang. I kept working it, and look, when I took that dog out, I didn't get four steps. Philippians 2.14 came up. You know what I did? Lord, forgive me. And you know what? Stop my complaining and probably stop the whole battle that would have happened all day. You know what I mean? Because you could set things off by complaining. But it was the word of God that stopped me. Amen? The word of God, church, needs to get in our heart and our spirit deep. You believe this word, man, you'll be unstoppable. Right? But if you're just skimming it, too busy, oh, I got my job going, got to run this one over here, got to do that, don't have time for the word, a little bit of prayer here, boom, boom. No, that's not going to work if you want to go big for God. Right? Got to go big. Look what it says, Romans 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all of he has done, that's the reason why, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God, let God be willing, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. God says, listen, you really want to know my will? You want to really walk in my ways? You need to renew your mind. You need to wash your brain with the word. You need to work that word into your spirit. I was in Texas at a C3 conference a long time ago with Pastor Tim. Big old church. Of course, you know, Texas, yeah, they say, if you do everything big in Texas. I got there. I think somebody told me there's only two types of people on the earth. I'm like, what, God's child and God's creation? Mm-mm. People that are Texans and people that wish they want to be Texans. Like, oh, man. Anyway, I'm at this thing, right? And then uh, I come out of these classes. They had these classes during the day. So I come out, and all this, there's the Jersey crowd over there. I walk over to the Jersey crowd, and one of the Jersey guys just starts, I don't know, just starts saying stuff to me. Like, when you, when you going to give it all up? When you going to surrender? When when you going to quit the, the, uh, the force and all that and go full time? And I'm like, Everybody's looking at me, thousand eyes looking at me. I'm like, when God tells me to, that's when I'll do it. You know what I mean? But I walked away from there feeling this big, thinking about, hmm, my job, pension, benefits, this, that, the other, hmm, I wonder what. 
So I go into the bookstore, and they do do everything big in Texas, because this bookstore is as big as this, this room at this church. Randomly, I pull a book off a shelf. Random. Don't even read the title. Go over. I'm a little discouraged from what just happened. Open the Bible up, or the book up. And uh, God is my witness. If I'm not telling the truth, he could take me off the stage right now. All right? I open it up, and it says in one of the chapters of this book, you're thinking about your pension and benefits. But nothing can compare to the man that meditates on my word day and night. Wow. You want to talk about a powerful revelation from God all the way in Texas. God allows me to get discouraged, walk into a bookstore, open a random book. Everybody else said when I told that story, they said, you should have bought that book. And you know what? I probably should have. But you're going to have to take my word for it. That's what happened. It's an incredible God just to do that, right? That's what I call sovereign. Sovereign. That means in total control. But anyway, God said, listen, Chris, don't worry about that. Don't worry about this. Meditate on my word day and night and watch what we can do then. Right? That's when the gloves come off. Boom. You ever see you watch a hockey game, the gloves come off? Listen, when you start meditating on the word of God and, and mixing it with prayer, fervent prayers, it says in the book of James, the fervent prayer of a righteous person will do what? Avail much. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. Guess how long it didn't rain for? Three and a half years. That's a brother who knows how to pray, right? Look, we got to meditate on the word. All right, I, I got to get moving on up in here. Okay. Oh, let me get you this one, Joshua 1.8. Listen, you've heard this verse preached frequently. And this is what God is telling Joshua when Moses died. Joshua said, look, you're the man that I'm choosing to take Israel into the promised land. But you know what God told Joshua? You go back and read your Bible in chapter 1. He said, listen, you ain't going to be able to do it unless you do this one thing. Make sure, he was telling them, that you study this book of instruction what? Continually meditate it on day and night so that you will be sure to do what? Obey everything written in it. Only then... Will you prosper and succeed in all you do? What does the Bible say about a doer of the word? Blessed in all he does in the book of James. The Bible says a doer of the word is blessed. The devil don't care if you're reading the Bible. But, oh, boy, don't start acting on it. Don't start being a doer of the word of God. Then we got all kinds of problems. Come to church. Keep coming. Keep doing whatever you want. You could serve in a church. Just don't act on the word of God. And the devil's cool with that. But when you start acting on that word, and the only way you're going to act on it, it's right there in Joshua 1.8. How are you going to act on it? By meditating on it. Once you meditate on it, the Bible says, look, you read the word in the book of James, it's like looking at yourself in a mirror. Then you turn, and what happens? What's it say in James? Help me out. It says you forget, right? You can read the word and forget what it says and not ever act on it for years. Amen? But when you meditate on it, that means an effort to think about it during the day, one verse at a time, one passage at a time. It's going to transform your life, and you're going to be a doer of the word, and you're going to be unstoppable. Amen? Praise the Lord. <clears throat> step number five, critical step. God's goal for you, right, is adoption. Always has, always will be. 
God just doesn't want you to be his creation. He created you. He allowed you to be created. He allowed a man and a woman to get together, you to be born from the womb of a woman. God allowed that to happen. That's his plan, the way he creates humans, okay? He put it together. But he's got another plan the Bible teaches. I've been teaching for a long time. It's called adoption. Look at Ephesians 1.5. Ephesians 1.5. God decided in advance, long time ago, God made a decision to what? To adopt us. You ever heard of such a thing? When I seen this in the Bible, nobody ever told me that when I was young. What you talking about? God wants to adopt me with all my baggage. God says, I made a decision, Chris, a long time ago. I just don't want you to be my creation. Two types of people in the world. They ain't Texans and people don't want to be Texans. God's child and God's creation. You're either in one category or the other. This is truth. Amen? God says, I made a decision. I want to adopt you. How does God adopt anybody? By bringing them to himself through what means? Through the beating, crucifixion of somebody who took on Satan for 40 days in a desert. Satan threw everything he had at Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh. And what happened? Jesus remained what? Sinless. The only blood that's ever walked on this earth that has never sinned, right, is Jesus Christ. And that's after an attack and assault by Satan. So therefore, what can happen? Jesus said, God says, I want to adopt you through Jesus Christ by bringing you to myself. So when you come to Christ and that blood is applied to your account, to your sin, the Bible says you are literally adopted, and therefore the gates open. You have the privilege to call God Dad. He's no longer just a God, a mystical figure. He's a father. Amen? That's when God becomes a dad in your life. It's through the beating and the crucifixion. Look at this. That's one of God's goals, adoption. You know another goal? God wants to be with you. God wants to be with you. Look at this verse. Zephaniah. 317. Wait till you read this verse. The Lord your God, and that's what you have to make sure, that he's your God. Not your sister's God, not your grandmom's God, right? Not your pastor's God. He's got to become your personal God through Jesus Christ. Your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take what? Great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, no longer be angry at you. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, but we'll do what? Rejoice of you. God wants to sing songs over you. Have you ever held a baby and sang songs over a baby? Do you know how powerful this is? Adoption? You've heard me talk about it before. I adopted my two daughters. Me and my wife sat in a room, never laid eyes on the baby. The two double doors open, they roll baby in a baby carriage. First time we ever laid eyes on her. What do you think me and Lori were doing? Blubbering mess, right? Crying like a baby. But we were rejoicing. And that's exactly what God wants to do. God's like, listen, I can't get my hands on you. I can't work with you. I can't do anything in your life. I can't show myself strong like I want to. Because your sin separates me and you. I'm a holy God. But if you allow me to apply my sacrifice, then you'll become my son or my daughter. For real, legal adoption. But you have to be what? Willing. God can't take anybody 
snatch him out of one of these seats, say, you're going to be my son today. Boom. No. Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you were unwilling, Jesus said. Read the word. Jesus said, I, I wanted to gather you, Jerusalem, but you wouldn't let me. Right? Jesus went to his own hometown, Matthew 13, 58. The Bible says, could not perform any miracles there. Why? Jesus Christ, raising people from the dead, went to his own hometown, couldn't, couldn't do any miracles. Why? Because of their unbelief. you got to believe that Jesus was God, that he was crucified, buried, and resurrected for your personal sin, and then you got to make a, a, a free will choice so you won't be a robot worshiping God. Right? You'll be God's son. God's daughter. John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to do what? You've heard preachers fire and brimstone, hey, God wants to strike lightning down on you. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in John 3.17, Jesus did not come into this world to condemn you. Jesus will tell you right to your face, I didn't come to condemn you. You're already condemned, thanks to Adam and Eve. They sinned, started having children, and the Bible says sin passed on to all men. We're all born with a sinful nature. So Jesus shows up and says, listen, I'm not here to condemn you. You're already in a condemned state. I came here to save you, and I'm working overtime to do it. Amen? Five steps. The fifth being the most important, giving your life to Jesus Christ. I pray that you believe these words of God as truth. You can live an amazing life. You can live in a life where a pickup truck is going to roll by you and throw out a chain when you need it because God is your dad and not just a God. So let's close in prayer. Every, every head bowed, every eye closed. <clears throat> if you believe the message of the Lord this morning, and you believe, you know what, Chris? I might not know God like that. I might be religious like I was, attending church and had no clue who God was. I might be fearful of man, which proves to be a snare, or I might not understand anything that you just said. Well, let me break it down for you. If you give your life to Jesus Christ as an act of your free will, God says, you know what? You will be my son. You will be my daughter. And you will be forgiven of everything you've ever done. And Angels will throw a party in heaven, and I will be with you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you, and when you cry, I'll listen. When you cry out to me, I'll say, here I am. There's actually a verse that says that in Isaiah 58. So if that's you this morning, and you believe the Lord is tugging on your heart, or if that's you watching by TV, and you're sitting in front of your TV set right now, and you say, you know what, Chris, I want to know God like that, then here's simply all you got to do. Send up the white flag. Say, you know what, Lord? Today's the day, September 2nd, 2012, I give my life to you as an act of my free will. I choose you, Lord, as my Father. I ask for forgiveness of everything I've ever done, and I apply the blood of Jesus Christ to my past and my future. The Bible says you will be eternally sealed. Actually, Ephesians 4.30 says you will therefore be marked with a seal of the Holy Spirit. When the angels and demons look upon you from this date, guess what they'll see? 
a child of God, marked by only a mark that God sees. And that's what the Bible teaches. Thanks again so much for tuning in today. We just want to remind you, if you want any more info on anything we're up to, visit GodTaughtMe.com. Also, if you're listening to us live on the radio today, then head over to our podcast page. Make sure you subscribe and rate us so we can continue to spread the word of God. We'll see you next week.